So, um, uh, on top of uh, expressing thanks for Sasha and the other organizers for having me here, let me please express appreciation for this entire project. I could say I've been following that project. I, I was here. It's not, it's not my first time in this project. It's a, I, so I'd really like to express, express appreciation, first of all, to Sasha for running this second or third project in a row and bringing Calendar Matters into the scholarly front end, but also the participants of this project. I know many of you. I know your work, some of your work, and I think you did marvelous work. I look forward to see the results of it all. So I think we should really thank everybody here uh, for, for having this conference and this project all together. Uh, well, time reckoning was invented by mankind in order to tame the overwhelming flow of natural time. Not often do we stop to think about the essence of our time units. These categories are so powerfully, so powerfully stamped in our cognition that they become an inherent part of perception itself. What makes this stamp so powerful is the exceptional efficiency of the Julian or Gregorian framework, the one we all live by. Even Jews and Muslims, or for that purpose, East Asian cultures, who run their religious life according to a lunar year, employ the Julian calendar for civil and administrative purposes. So I get my salary by the Gregorian calendar, not by the Jewish month. These groups are thus sometimes required to reflect on their own frameworks of time. Not only them, but also people who have no time in conflicts are sometimes bound to confront their time frames. Since time is such a profound category of the human experience, pondering it will expose and possibly also deconstruct some cultural foundations of the society and of each individual. So we will survey sources from the Hellenistic and Roman periods when the emerging Jewish identity was confronted with the imperial challenge. As we now understand, cultural acts on the part of the Jews at that period, as of any other minority in the empire, carried not only an inward-oriented message, but also a statement vis-à-vis -vis the empire. Small states, even those with rich ancient heritage like the Jews, were required to refashion, sometimes forge their traditions anew, in order to reinforce their corporate identity. As Shasta Stern has shown, much of the Jewish calendrical discord, discourse should be seen in this light. This is our way, as scholars of the calendar, into the realm of, well, even Sasha uses that term, post-colonialism. A nation would adapt the calendar of the empire, or reject it, or maybe accept it with modifications. Others would strive to preserve their national identity using their old traditional methods of time reckoning. Let us consider the following two examples. This is preserved in Ethiopic, but is originally a Jewish text. Uh, things I have presented in the past and we'll just go through very quickly. So in the Book of Jubilees, uh, you command the Israelites to keep the years in this number 364 days, then the year will be complete. Uh, lest they forget the covenantal festivals and walk in the festivals of the nations after their error and after their ignorance, and so on and so forth. This sectarian source, written under the Seleucids in the 2nd second, second century BCE, promotes a 364-day year, 
and opposes the lunar calendar. The author then condemns the lunar calendar as walking in the festival of the Gentiles. This accusation is actually true because the Seleucids did follow a lunisolar calendar. But the author condemns not only the Gentiles, but rather also his fellow Jews who followed the same practice as the Gentiles, claiming instead that Jews should practice their own unique way of time reckoning. Curiously, such an idea, that Jews should preserve their own time reckoning, has never occurred to any Jewish author before the Book of Jubilees. But once it arose, it is easily found also in other contexts and by other Jewish authors. For example, this rabbinic text, uh, we learn that Israel reckons according to the moon, while the Gentiles reckon according to the sun. So this promotes the same idea, that Jews should have their own calendar vis-à-vis -vis the empire. But this time, the empire is using a solar calendar, and thus the Jews must dissociate themselves by practicing a lunar calendar. So it's the same idea like the Book of Jubilees, but completely reversed. These sources demonstrate the meaning invested in the calendar in early Judaism. Every detail in the calendrical discourse should be taken as a statement of the identity politics. Calendrical debates involve not only politics, but also ideological, theological matters which relate to inner Jewish disagreements on the nature of time. Is time a divine entity, inherent in world order, which could only be aimed and strived to by human beings? Or possibly, to the contrary, time is placed in human hands in the direct authority of the human court. This disagreement would entail different definitions of the year. In a year comprised of lunar months, human agency is pronounced. Not a single step in this kind of reckoning could be done without human intervention. Observing the new moon, deciding whether is it timely or not, consecrating a new moon day, deciding whether an intercalary year is necessary on an anthropological level, the lunar cycle, is wild and ever surprising. It cannot be predicted. It must therefore be regularly maintained by human decisions, which tame the wild, to use the words of Ron Feldman. On the other hand, a year oriented to a fixed number of days, of weeks, of months, would wholly reject the human agency, like this year in the Book of Jubilees. The year is defined as a complete number of weeks, a rather unique definition that's interesting to point out. The week was an inherent part of world order, and therefore there was no need of human involvement in concluding the weekly cycle. Time is not wild, it is harmoniously administered by divine powers. Mankind did receive knowledge about this divine order by means of apocalyptic revelations, like the one by Enoch mentioned earlier today. But human beings are never required to take an active decision in the calendar. All they do is attune themselves to the divine regulation of time. Classical rabbinic literature takes a very clear position on both questions mentioned here, the political and the ideological. As, once again, Stern has shown, the promotion of a lunisolar calendar in Mishnah Rosh Hashanah is an act of subver subversion against the robust Roman enforcement of the Julian year. At the same time, and even more so, the classical rabbinic stance is aimed to oppose those who sought to install a fixed calendar of sorts. Well, in Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, it places so much emphasis 
on the realistic sighting of the moon by individual men and to the agency of these men and the court in declaring the order of times. Why didn't the sages of the Mishnah, the Tanaim, why didn't they employ the 19-year cycle uh, to regulate their calendar? This cycle was certainly known to them. It has been circulating in the ancient Near East for at least 700 years by then. Uh, but they chose to defy it and instead insisted on the unforeseeable effect of lunar sightings. Mind you, an ad hoc calendar like the one in the Mishnah causes much trouble, which is the reason why so many societies preferred a fixed cycle like we heard last night. Ultimately, such a move will also would, have take, would take place in Judaism itself within several centuries, as we've also heard. Yet the sages of the Mishnah still insisted on ad hoc observations. The reason, in my eyes, must be at least partly ideological. From the above, it might be helpful to offer a general distinction between the week and the month in early Jewish calendars. Rabbinic texts will underscore the tamed month, while sectarian circles or priestly circles, sectarian circles may be better, will prefer the divinely harmonious week to the month. And we saw that Jubilees defines the year by weeks. With this diagnosis, let us approach several texts and examples. The standard Tanaitic notion of a year is a unit of 12 months. This is the case in the following Mishnah. He who vowed to deny himself befitting from his friend's possessions for a year, he vowed for 12 months from day to day. For, so the rabbinic clause of vows are a particularly good case to detect the meanings of words, since in this particular situation, the rabbis were required to reflect on semantics, seeking to restrain the supernatural efficacy of vows, the rabbis limited the undertaken commitment to the essential meaning of the word invoked. In the present case, a vow was taken for the length of a year. But the question remains, how long should that year be? In this Mishnah, a standard year is defined here as exactly, it says, 12 months. Shnei Masar Chodesh. Well, a year of 12 months is ostensibly lunar. It is not even lunisolar. I do not think that this statement reflects a purely lunar rabbinic calendar like the Islamic one. Rather, this is the rabbi's way of invoking the definition of an ideal year. A year of 12 months. The irregular, unpredictable, and constantly in need of maintenance lunar month is deliberately chosen as the standard rabbinic unit. Let's take another example. In an Agadic saying, so not a legal one, but a moralistic narrative one, Rabbi Akiva recounts five occurrences uh, that last for a whole year. The judgment of the generation of the flood, the judgment of Job, the judgment of the Egyptians, the judgment of Gog and Magog, that is to come, and the judgment of the wicked in hell, if you were interested to know, all of them take exactly one year, but as defined by Rabbi Akiva, Shneim Asar Chodesh, 12 months. These are the, the three dots there, they all stand for 12 months. In each of these matters, it could be shown how Rabbi Akiva used the scriptural verse as a hinge for his idea that the matter lasted for one year. Uh, however, the scriptural verse, for the, only the scriptural verse for the last matter, is the one explicitly mentioned. 
In a verse from Isaiah 66, uh, which mentions the, tor the torture of the wicked in the hell, in hell, with the preceding uh, verse 23, which is entirely unconnected to this business, basically, but for the rabbis, it's good to make this connection and read the way it mentions new moon to another and Sabbath to another and so on. So Rabbi Akiva chose the unit of a month, Midei Chodesh Bechotso, from one new month to another, uh, and decided that this shows that uh, the wicked suffer in hell for exactly 12 months. His opponent in the Mishnah, uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Nurit down there. Rabbi Yochanan ben Nurit actually said the judgment of the wicked in hell is actually seven weeks from the Passover until Pentecost, as scripture says, on each and every Sabbath. Seems to me that the choice of the month or the week from this verse, they are both in the verse, but only, you only need to choose one of them, is not a mere whim, but rather involves the definition of time. While Rabbi Akiva chose the human regulated month, his opponent chose the divinely ordained week. Be as it may, it would be insightful to compare Rabbi Akiva's choice of months with a sectarian source preceding him by about 200 years, a scroll from Qumran, a commentary on Genesis, which uh, George Brook right here calls 4Q252 and has known that source for very well. So this is the Mishnah, says that the judgment of the generation of the flood lasts for 12 months. And here is the sectarian statement in Qumran saying, that the year of the flood actually lasted at the end of a complete year of 364 days. The text contained in this scroll is a commentary on Genesis on the year of the flood. The sectarian position acknowledged that the year would, the year of the flood is a complete year. In the second temple period, the year of the flood attracted enormous attention on the part of various writers. Their way to anchor their kind of year, which was of course the only true one, into the flood narrative, was to manipulate the dates given in the biblical text. Thus one gets about four different systems of dates for the, flood of the, the year of the flood in biblical versions. Uh, Rabbi Akiva ignores all of this, as well as the explicit biblical indication that the flood lasted 10 years longer than one year, announcing instead his measure of 12 months exactly for the year of the flood. So, despite this use of the standard unit of 12 months for a year, the rabbis will acknowledge that for schematic needs, a different sort of year is required. This is the case in the yearly preparation of the incense for the temple service. The incense was made 360 mina as the number of days in the solar year. And three additional mina plus three additional mina, uh, I'm sorry, Three additional, this is, there's a mistake in the translation. Plus three additional mina for that specific day, the Day of Atonement. Now, preparing incense is a calendrical event because it is presented daily. And because on the Day of Atonement, you add, there's another incense ritual where you need additional measures. Uh, it was made one day on one day for the whole year, probably because the funding for the incense came with the annual tax collection of the Shekalim. This baraita is found in Talmudic sources, but it, might, it seems to be an early, also goes back to Tanaitic times. Preparing the incense for 365 days, with the imp, you know, explicit mention of the, the, the solar year, a very unrabbinic mention, I should say that, um, is rather curious, since the year in the temple was a lunar year, certainly according to the rabbinic sources. 
In a regular year, that means that about 11 mina will remain at the end of the year. The surplus was kept and used in the case of maybe an intercalary year every once in a while when more material than usual was required. I should emphasize this is a strong, a very central ritual act in the temple. It is not negligible. When they use the 365 days for that purpose, it means something. It's, it could, cannot be just ignored. But is this Baraita evidence for the use of a solar year, 365 days in the temple? I think not, despite the recent attempt to claim so. In this case, it seems to me that the figure of 365 is used as a convenient schematic approximation. Since the length of the year cannot be told in advance, they would use the number of 365, the schematic figure, and correct accordingly, and they had things to do with the surplus of, uh, of uh, incense and use this elsewhere. But a different case altogether comes from a different rabbinic source, uh, which has to do with the rabbinic interpretation of a law in Leviticus 25. This is the last source to be discussed today. According to this source, family property was sold to pay debts is recovered back to the family in the Jubilee year. When it comes to urban properties, the law only allows one year for redeeming it, after which the sale becomes permanent. In Leviticus 25, uh, the term of time defined for this act is Shanatemima, a complete year. If it is not redeemed before a complete year has elapsed, then so on and so forth. While usually in the Pentateuch the term, just the term year is used, scripture here seems to require a more accurate unit, a, a complete year, Shanatemima. I'm not sure about the intentions of the original author. Actually, it seems to me that the original priestly author, this is just a stylistic uh, variant. But the rabbis clearly sought some reflection on the definition of the year in this particular case, because the rabbis are known to, have to pay to be atomistic in their interpretation, to pay extra attention to every word, especially in legal cases. So this is the Mishnah discussing this law. He who sells the house, uh, house or houses in the walled cities, he may redeem immediately and so on, uh, throughout the entire period of 12 months, as it says, before a complete year has elapsed. Complete, this is the Mishnah says, complete, to include the intercalary one. However, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yudah Nasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, says that he should be given the year plus its impact. So the sage, the first sage in the Mishnah, uh, defines the year as the standard 12 months. When required to confront the term complete, temima, well, he says, okay. So this period of 12 months will also contain the intercalary month if that happened to occur in the year. This is the difference between just a year and the complete one. So this concludes, includes the intercalary month. Then comes a dissenting opinion by Rabbi Judah the Prince, an authority from the late 2nd century CE, who was also the editor of the Mishnah, and thus quoted his own opinion. Being such a prominent authority, he is referred to by the, the term Rabbi alone. Here and elsewhere, Rabbi introduces his concept of the year. A complete year equals the year plus the epact. Hashana ve'ibura. That is, the 11 days that the solar year is longer than the lunar. The meaning of epact is attested for the word ibur in other Tanaitic sources. 
Rabbi's opinion is expressed more clearly in the Midrash Halacha. Uh, complete here, Rabbi Judah says one counts 365 days like the number of the solar days and the other rabbi says he counts 12 months from day to day and if the year is intercalated, he earned it. So he defines, thinking about it, he defines a complete year as a solar year almost for these purposes the Julian year. Of course the Julian year had 366 every once in a while but for a person in, in Judea this it would say this equally amounts to defining the year as the Julian year. Now, he did not practice, Revi did not practice a Julian calendar, and he was the editor of Mishnah Rosh Hashanah that promotes a very strong opposition to a Julian calendar that, and promotes you know, uh, an ad hoc lunar calendar. However, whereas we usually count a year as 12 months, in the special case where a really full year is required, Shanat so explicitly a full year is required, one must have recourse to the solar year, maybe the Julian year. This is an odd statement in rabbinic terms, for both political and theological reasons. In political terms, it's it is a surprising surrender of the rabbinic insistence on the old, of the old lunar calendar. We know that the Julian year was robustly promoted in the East, and linked quite strongly with the royal ideology of Augustus and others. However, the Mishnah tractate of Rosh Hashanah, which Rabbi himself edited, goes out of its way to oppose it and retain the golden days of the lunar calendar. Here, however, Rabbi, in fact, admits that the solar year is more accurate than the traditional rabbinic one. His opinion was known and quoted several times in the Talmudim. In ideological terms, the question at stake here involves the human hegemony over time. Rabbi does not merely use the figure of 365 as a convenient schematic construct like we did before in the incense Mishnah, Baraita. Rather, he acknowledges it as a closer representation of the year, of the real year. His colleagues do acknowledge the meaning of the word complete, but still insist that the lunar year overrides the realistic solar one. Rabbi, in contrast, takes a deliberate stance against them by advancing Solar, maybe Julian year. The challenge now would be to account for Rabbi's, Rabbi's outstanding opinion. Rabbinic literature abounds with stories about Rabbi's Roman connections, including recurrent stories about his interaction with the emperor Antoninus. However, these stories are usually not taken at face value by scholars and do not unequivocally attest to a Roman orientation by that specific sage. The question remains, therefore, how much ideology one can extract from rabbi statements of the year, which are, after all, rather laconic legal statements. If my suggested reading of Rebbe's opinion is true, it would attest to a dissenting voice within the rabbinic camp about the relation of time and reality. This would not be the first dissenting voice in rabbinic literature, but we should be aware that our attempts to cast our net on the past traditions are limited and would only be able to explain the tip of the iceberg. Other parts of the iceberg are bound to appear here and there until a better explanation is achieved. Let me just mention one more very short and laconic but curious dissenting voice. And also curiously, it comes from the same circle of Rabbi Yuda, the prince, because it comes from his student Rabbi Chia. Uh, in this statement, going back to the 
biblical source that was a very strong part of sectarian debate during Second Temple times. Uh, the, the count of seven weeks for the Omer, for the sacrifice of the Omer. Now, under which, this rabbinic sources, under which circumstances are they complete, seeking seven complete weeks, when the priestly courses of Yeshua and Shechaniah do not both occur in them. Uh, this would take a long explanation, a long explanation, but I should say that in this statement, I mean, following others who discussed it, uh, it seems to me it runs counter to the essence of the rabbinic lunar calendar. While that calendar was all about unpredictable pronouncements of months, regardless of weekdays, Rabbi Chia now announces that ideally the seven weeks of Shavuot should be full weeks from Sunday to Sunday, and this is the true implication of what he says here about Yeshua and Shechaniah. If you want Yeshua and Shechaniah to fit all together in that period of seven weeks, uh, you have to employ seven complete weeks. This is his ideal of the count. But this ideal of the count goes back to the rejected sectarian points from Second Temple times. But here you have, in the late Mishnahic times, you have it. In effect, in the third, early 3rd third century CE, this sage goes back to the old rejected sectarian paradigms. It might be that as the sectarian debate lost its sting, rabbis felt more free to indulge with the earlier priestly themes, which had been long suspended under the classical Tanaitic ethos. The dense rabbinic network began to untangle at, it, at its edges. Surprisingly, these edges occur in a rather central place in the circle of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Thank you very much. Jonathan, uh, questions? Uh, what connections do you see uh, between uh, this acceptance of the 365 days here and the emergence of the Tekufot according to Shmuel, the particular system that uses the Julian calendar hmm. in terms of the Tekufot? Um, first of all, well, the Baraita de Shmuel is, I would say, even later than that. And I did not think of uh, making the connection, and nor do I think about the specific connection that should be made between Rabbi Yudai and his circle in Palestine, and that of Shemuel in, Babil in Babel in Babylonia, nor do I think this really was done by Shemuel. It might be, I'm not sure that this act of Shemuel was really done by him, or maybe Shemuel is just used as an eponymous name, you know, a scholar, an astronomer that you can... I think Sasha wrote about that... Uh, there is, a, there is a passage in the Talmud already with the Shmuel, Tkufat Shmuel. Tkufat Shmuel, okay. Um, in terms of uh, chronology, Shmuel would be not very far from Rabbi Chia, from Rabbi Yudanasi, I'd say maybe a generation apart or so, maybe a generation apart or so. That might be interesting to check. I mean, would be important to check. Uh, Just curious to hear your opinion. Mm -hmm. as, as I said, I am only pointing out the tip of the iceberg. So it's, it'll be good if I, if I can unlock other unknown parts of the iceberg. So thank you, Philip. Sure. I mean, I'd, be, I'd be more happy if I had more concrete evidence about Rabbi's commitment to the solar year. Uh, I, of course, it is here, and I brought the evidence, but I wish I had more. Uh, thank you very much for this paper, and I, I think it was 
the particularly good thing about this paper is that it puts together all the evidence and, and looks at early rabbinic definitions of the year, which actually, there aren't many of them, funny mm -hmm, enough. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the month and when the month should begin and the, the length of the month, but the length of the year is something which is not spoken very much. And it's actually quite useful to put all these sources together and to realize how, strangely enough, when it comes to talking about the year, they lapse into a sole year because there is no lunar year there's no standard lunar as such to refer to, so it's actually a very interesting observation. Now, I just I just wanted to uh, ask you about one detail, if if I may, and that is um, from Mishnah Rachim ten three. So um, the text says, yes. Uh, so Rabbi's opinion is he should be given the year plus its impact. Uh, I'm not sure if Epax is the right translation. Is it your translation or is it... It's mine. It's your translation, yeah. I mean, what you mean is presumably the difference between a, a solar year and a lunar year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, which would be 10 days or... Or 11. 11 days, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it seems to me that what we have here is an early formulation and the text that you bring down where that refers to three, 365 days is later. The, that's right. This is the Midrash Halakha, yes. would usually be dated somewhat later than the Mishnah. How later, we don't know, but it's certainly a later redaction. That, that's how it would normally be looked mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. And by the time we come to this later redaction, this idea of the year plus its, what you translated, the impact, have now become 365 days. Mm -hmm. I think that perhaps an interesting evolution here um, at some point, it's difficult to date these things exactly, um, from sort of an early formulation where the length of the year is actually still not specified, it's just the lunar year plus the difference, whatever, whatever the values are. And then later on, uh, sort of the adoption of, of, sort of fixed, uh, fixed precise values. Uh, so, okay, so um, what would be the, so the difference would be the precise the, the specification, so not exactly 11 days or 10 days, but rather, how would you uh, account for that? What, what, what would Ibur mean in, in, in this Mishnah, in the original? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I, I find, that, I find the, that, that line very difficult, actually, to translate. And I was wondering about the word impact. I'm, I'm not sure it's the right words, but I can't think of any other word, really, to express this well. But uh, one thing is certain... So Ibur is, is, okay, it's a good question and let me answer that because it might answer to your question as well. The, uh, the regular meaning of the word Ibur was intercalation. However, if you take that, the meaning of this word here, there will be no difference between Ravi so and the other opinion. Maybe formulating the same opinion. But then, then you will have no disagreement. Why, why, bring, why present them as two? Sorry. No, you don't think it could just be a linguistic difference? There's two different ways of formulating the same thing. Uh, uh, it is presented in the Mishnah as a very clear disagreement, machloket. Uh, the same way that machlokot are presented. There must be some difference between them. Had there not been any difference, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the second opinion of Rabbi Yehuda would not be presented. It's only there if it disagrees with the earlier one. Is it disagreeing on the question of the superfluity of, of the words? That, that, that bothers them. If the word is there, then it must mean something other than what, it is, what the sentence says without it. 
Well, this is halakha, this is not agada. There are very clear legal implications. There are very clear economic implications for that. The person wants to redeem his property, and he needs to know how many days he has. If he comes on the day number 362 of the year, he wants to know whether he could, he's uh, bound to redeem his property or not. So this question here cannot be, it, it's, not, well, it's not a semantic question like it was in the terms of Rabbi Akiva and the length of the flood, of the year of the flood. This one here is a very clear halachic economic question. So there must, you know, it must be very concise. So I, I do not see that this is just about the way terms are used, but rather it needs, there's a, there's a, a difference, a, a tangible difference here. It must have a precise meaning. And it must be different from the previous exactly. statement, that, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Mm -hmm. but, um, but even if it has a precise meaning, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be numerical. Uh, I'm just thinking of other similar shifts where you have, in, in earlier Tanaitic sources, midday is called Chatzot, which is, mid, which is literally the, the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And then the same traditions in later redacted rabbinic works get changed to six hours. So it's given numerical value. Similar sort of phenomenon where you have sort of a different way of expressing time, quantities of time, or measures of time. If you look at the Hebrew, it says Amar Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda Omer. You can see whether it's stated as an opposition or as a gloss. That may also be. Let me just remind if, if you doubt that there is a disagreement here, you have this source, which is. I don't know how much later than the Mishnah, but not more than a generation, I would say. Not more than a generation later than the Mishnah. With the people involved, Rabbi Chia, or, yeah, the people who are involved in producing the Tzitz Midrash Adachanat Rabbi Chia. Not very far away from the circle of Rabbi Yudanasi. So I would, I would not doubt that there is disagreement here. Question is how the disagreement is expressed. Okay, I'm happy to, to discuss it. So we saw that Ibor means not necessarily adding a month or anything, but Ibor just means things that have to do with the calendar, with the imposing, uh, an imposing a system. Huh? Instituting. Or imposing uh, a system or a structure. I'd say that this might be the case in later Hebrew, while in classical rabbinic Hebrew, it, I mean, you can find, I mean, if you wanted, you could write dictionary entries for Ibor. And I have, I did bring, not bring here, I actually did not uh, think that we will come to the, the details of rabbinic Hebrew, of uh, rabbinic Hebrew, but uh, I have it done, yeah, at home. They are uh, in Seder Olam, or several uh, uh, Tanaitic attestations of Ibur in the sense of Ipat. You know, very clear meaning Ipat, not just a general calendrical term, but rather a very specific uh, meaning. And there's a question about uh, about the Shabbat, the Shabbat Tov, and Chodesh B'Chodesh. Mm -hmm. And that's so I can understand. If you're saying that the opinion that Chodesh B'Chodesh, that's implying that 12 lunar months. So it's based on, but how about Shabbat, Shabbat Tov? How does that, is that implying a 52-week year, 364 day? Um, yes, you must be very creative. I should say. Yeah, the two opinions I'm saying in the Mishnah. Yes, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi, his opponent, Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri. 
Actually, the verse does not say anything about uh, a full year, nor does it say anything about seven weeks, nor does it even relate to the, uh, to the wicked in hell, because actually verse 23 goes back to the earlier paragraph, while verse 24 begins a new thing about, about the wicked in hell. Uh, so both opinions are, I should say, creative about their use of scripture. Uh, also, since this is Agadah and not Halakha, I would be reluctant to actually say that this is you know, a position that somebody clings very long to. Now, does, uh, does Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri uses, does he promote a sectarian year of 52 weeks? I don't think so. But he has chosen, out of these two mentions of times in the verse, he has chosen to disagree with Rabbi Akiva. Well, Rabbi Akiva chooses the months. He chose to speak about the weeks. Does that mean he's a sectarian thinker? I don't think so. But why? Why did he dissociate himself from Rabbi Akiva? What's so wrong with Rabbi Akiva? I mentioned the, uh, Everybody knows that the flood lasted for a year, and you have mentions of months here, so why not stick to months? He is actually the, the his opinion is actually, I should say, questionable in that sense. If, if you use the rules of the game, the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan is actually, I'd say, rather outstanding. We all know it should take a year. Why use, why use uh, seven weeks? I would find go back actually to the point that Sasha made tonight uh, about the the impact. And I wonder if um, there's a change in, uh, in the meaning of what an impact is for an author between these two texts, between these two generations. Yes. Um, because the impact, although astronomically these two things may be the same, we can think of the impact as being uh, the year plus the average length of, if we, if we average out the intercalations, the intercalary months, that will give us what we can call the impact which you could think of as being a solar year, but you can also just think of it as being the average length of properly intercalated years. So my question is whether, in this first case, what we have here is something that's thinking in terms of the average length of properly intercalated years, as opposed to something that's explicitly solar. Even though that numerically it's the same thing, in terms of how you think about it, it's not necessarily the same thing. And the reason I, I'm thinking about that is because this is exactly what Mulapin has done. So the passage I showed you earlier on this morning from Bolapin uh, that gave you a 10 days excess uh, has done that by, divide, by dividing the integration every three months into, by three to give you uh, how much it will be each month. And in that case, you have the same issue of that you have the same word being both intercalation in terms of intercalating months, but also meaning the extra days of the same word meaning just additional. So you have a sort of parallel case here. So I'm just wondering whether there's a, uh, a shift in the meaning, uh, a, a sort of a cognitive meaning mm -hmm. of what the impact mm -hmm. is between this first and the second example. You know, I'd be the first person to be delighted to find a parallel between Mulapin and the Mishnah. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, it, it really comes to a philological study of the word Ibur in Tanaitic writings. Uh, I could do it, I cannot do it now. Uh, but, but the text should be checked. There are, I mean, the word Ibur is mentioned in Tanaitic sources. I'd say about 50 times. So, uh, or, or, well, let's say in Talmudic sources as well, about 50 times. Most of them refer to intercalation. A few of them refer to this kind of meaning. And we should really go back to them and check whether it has to do with average 
uh, an average size of uh, intercollected years, or just the effect as we know from the solar year. My hunch is that it really relates to the solar year, but, well, we need to check that. Uh, no, I just want to make a comment that this, uh, uh, I, I didn't know about this dispute in Judaism, and uh, I'm very, uh, thank you very much for pointing it out. And, uh, let me point out there's a verse in the Quran which will be uh, the actually uh, central point uh, in my talk uh, that the year is 12 months it says so that it's very interesting and nobody has uh, uh, in my research has pointed out uh, this parallel it's not inconceivable uh, uh, that uh, uh, Mohammed uh, heard of this dispute, so it's, uh, I think it uh, opens up some uh, uh, speculation, uh, area of speculation in Islamic studies. Thank you, that's a very interesting direction. I've been pondering my mind whether there might be connection, and so thank you for pointing it out. Uh, uh, there, is there a, does the Quran mention the word intercalation? Yeah. Or, or any other, to, to prohibit intercalation? Okay. Uh, What's uh, the word for that? Okay, uh, this will. Uh, this is again a uh, matter uh, of dispute, and I will talk about it. Uh, it, it says Nessi is forbidden. Nessi uh, uh, we, uh, we, uh, appears in a uh, Sabaic text uh, uh, much before Islam in Yemen, uh, uh, and there it means postponement, but. However, uh, you know, when you intercalate, you in effect postpone uh, the cultic uh, mm -hmm, observances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, uh, and we are confident that the Islamic calendar, uh, uh, as we know, it goes back to the twenty-second uh, year of the Hijra. So uh, that intercalation. Has not ne never been practiced ever in the historical period of Islam. Mm -hmm. So these are what we know. So anyway, okay. I'll talk okay. about it later. Well, thank you. I think that's a, that's a helpful comment. Thank you so much. If there are no further questions, we can uh, close this uh, session and thank again Jonathan for his paper. <laughs>